Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fireside Poems. I'm Dr. J. Today's episode marks the first Wednesday of June, and I've chosen for it a poem that is appropriate for all of the high school graduations that come in June, while also reaching back for the college graduations that come in the latter part of May. I'll be reading from Oliver Wendell Holmes's Urania, A Rhymed Lesson. It isn't a commencement address. He first read it to a gathering of the Boston Mercantile Library Association, but it contains, in verse form, the sort of advice that one expects at a commencement. It's written in a form called rhymed couplets, which is a very conservative form, perhaps the most conservative form of poetry. Those of you who don't make a profession of studying poetry may think it odd that a particular form of verse could be thought conservative, so let me briefly explain. Rhymed couplets come in pairs, two lines that rhyme followed by another two lines that rhyme, etc. In the most conservative form, which Holmes often used and uses here, each line has a set number of syllables and stresses, ten syllables and five stresses per line. This pattern places tremendous constraints on the poet, which leave little room for emotion, and so it was being rejected by the romantic poets of Holmes's day. Holmes, then, was being consciously old-fashioned, consciously conservative, when he used it. Rhymed couplets are the verse form of the reasoning mind, and was thus appropriate for teaching conservative lessons, as Holmes does in Urania, a rhymed lesson. But as it's a verse form of the mind, it's also a vehicle for humor and satire. These, too, have a place in Urania. Indeed, without its gentle humor, Urania wouldn't appeal much to me or to Holmes himself. Urania, a rhymed lesson, is quite a long poem, and so I'll only be reading portions of it. And instead of reading it once and then commenting on it before I read it a second time, as is my usual practice, I'll only be reading it once, commenting on it as I go, before concluding with a thought or two. So place yourselves in a gymnasium for graduation, either your own or your daughters or sons or nieces or nephews, etc., and let's begin. From Urania, A Rhymed Lesson by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Holmes begins with a startling question, one that we might think appropriate to the 1980s, though even then it would have startled at a commencement address, but not one we would look for in a more honest time as we imagine the early days of America to have been. It's a question about honesty, a pretty blunt one, actually. Should the young person going out into the world of business be honest? It may seem a rude question, but in a mercantile world where material success is all, it's a question that, unfortunately, is often answered in the negative. How often? Well, often enough to matter. And Holmes brings no lofty answer, which would be lost on those who say no anyway. Instead, he gives a down-to-earth answer, and then follows up immediately with other questions that seem to us unfortunately modern as well, 
but that have been with humanity since we've had the opportunity to ask what we should do with our lives. He then continues to positive advice. Shalt thou be honest? Ask the worldly schools, and all will tell thee knaves are busier fools. Prudent, industrious, let not modern pens instruct poor Richard's fellow citizens. Be firm, one constant element in luck is genuine old Teutonic pluck. See yon tall shaft? It felt the earthquake's thrill, clung to its base, and greets the sunrise still. Stick to your aim, the mongrel's hold will slip, but only crowbars loose the bulldog's grip. Small as he looks, the jaw that never yields drags down the bellowing monarch of the fields. Yet, in opinions, look not always back. Your wake is nothing, mind the coming track. Leave what you've done for what you have to do. Don't be consistent, but simply true. Don't catch the fidgets. This section seems unfortunately apt of the place the world today's graduates find themselves in now. Don't catch the fidgets. You have found your place just in the focus of a nervous race, fretful to change and rabid to discuss, full of excitements, always in a fuss. Think of the patriarchs, then compare as men these lean-cheeked maniacs of the tongue and pen. Run if you like, but try to keep your breath. Work like a man, but don't be worked to death. And with new notions, let me change the rule. Don't strike the iron till it's slightly cool. Choose well your set. Here Holmes addresses two mistakes we can make when first starting out and looking for social connections that can help us rise, attaching ourselves to those to whom we can only say what they want to hear on the one hand, or surrounding ourselves with those who say only what we want to hear on the other. The reptile at the end is the toad, and Holmes uses it as an allusion to toadies, so-called because they were said to be willing to eat toads to get ahead. Choose well your set. Our feeble nature seeks the aid of clubs, the countenance of cliques, and with this object settle first of all your weight of metal and your size of ball. Track not the steps of such as hold you cheap, too mean to prize, though good enough to keep. The Quote, real, genuine, no-mistake Tom Thumbs, end quote, are little people fed on great men's crumbs. Yet keep no followers of that hateful brood that basely mingles with its wholesome food the tumid reptile, which, the poet said, doth wear a precious jewel in his head. We do have choices, of course, but the important choices we make may well determine other choices, as Holmes suggests next. If the wild filly progress thou wouldst ride, have young companions at thy side. But wouldst thou stride the staunch old mare success, go with thine elders, though they please thee less. Continuing under the assumption that he's speaking to those who want to ride the staunch old mare success, 
Holmes next warns against befriending those who are thieves of time. The dial is the face of your watch, and your right pocket the place you keep it. Shun such as lounge through afternoons and eves, and on thy dial right beware of thieves. Felon of minutes, never taught to feel the worth of treasures which thy fingers steal, pick my left pocket of its silver dime, but spare the right, it holds my golden time. Holmes then moves on to more practical matters of conduct and manners and speech, such are as of little interest to high school graduates, but are now of enough interest to college students facing a new and foreign world that they now attend workshops to learn of them. This interest extends to Holmes's next topic as well, with which I'll finish. From little matters, let us pass to less, and lightly touch the mysteries of dress. The outward forms the inward man reveal. We guess the pulp before we cut the peel. I leave the broadcloth, the coats and all the rest, one single precept might the whole condense. Be sure your tailor is a man of sense, but add a little care, a decent pride, and always err upon the sober side. Thus leaving suits to sensible tailors, Holmes turns to the accessories of dress. Three pairs of boots one pair of feet demands, if polished daily by the owner's hands. One pair for critics of the nicer sex, close in the instep's clinging circumflex, long, narrow, light, the Gallic boot of love, a kind of cross between a boot and glove. Let native art compile the medium pair, compact but easy, strong, substantial, square. The third remains, and let your tasteful skill here show some relics of affectation still. But let no stiff cowhide reeking from the tan, no rough katooch, no deformed brigand, disgrace the tapering outline of your feet, though yellow torrents gurgle through the street. Wear seemly gloves, not black nor yet too light, and least of all the pair that once were white. Shave like the goat if your fancy bids, but be a parent, don't neglect your kids. Have a good hat. This is my favorite section. I love its genial humor, though it's of little application today except perhaps by analogy. Have a good hat. The secret of your looks lives with the beaver in Canadian brooks. Virtue may flourish in an old cravat, but man and nature scorn the shocking hat. Does beauty slight you from your gay abodes? Like bright Apollo you must take to Rhodes. Mount the new caster, ice itself will melt. Boots, gloves may fail, the hat is always felt. Be shy of breastpins. Breastpins were a new item of fashion to close the front of men's shirts, often featuring a diamond or other expensive gem. Be shy of breastpins, plain, well-ironed white, with small pearl buttons, two of them in sight, is always genuine, while your gems may pass, though real diamonds 
for ignoble glass. Holmes closes his advice on dress with some remarks reflecting on American character, exemplified by our rejection of the English cravat, a long, wide piece of starched cloth that was wrapped a number of times around the neck from the collarbone to the jawbone, often with a stiff leather collar underneath also encasing the neck. Think of Mr. Darcy in the BBC Pride and Prejudice. Free America would have none of it, replacing it with simpler collars turned down and open at the throat. Dress, then, can signal a new culture. But, Holmes warns, such innovations become best those most fit for them, which isn't everybody. Our freeborn race, averse to every check, has tossed the yoke of Europe from its neck. From the green prairie to the sea-girt town, the whole wide nation turns its collars down. The stately neck is manhood's manliest part. It takes the lifeblood freshest from the heart. With short curled ringlets close around it spread, how light and strong it lifts the Grecian head. But, oh, my friend, my favorite fellow man, if nature made you on her modern plan, sooner than wander with your windpipe bare, the fruit of Eden ripening in the air, with that lean head, that protruding chin, wear standing collars were they made of tin, and have a neckcloth by the throat of Jove cut from the funnel of a rusty stove. Nothing can convey more quickly or more accurately the contrast between the conservative Holmes and the at least poetically radical Walt Whitman than to place side by side the pencil sketch of Holmes accompanying this episode with his Adam's apple gracefully concealed by a buttoned-up shirt and neckcloth and the pencil sketch of Whitman which graced the first edition of Leaves of Grass with his neck fully bared, his workman's shirt wide open at the neck. Leaves of Grass appeared less than ten years after Holmes read Urania to the Boston Mercantile Library Association in 1846. Its verse and its attitude couldn't be more different, as the two portraits suggest. When I was a college student in the 1970s, I was completely in the Whitman camp. I remember telling my father while on a visit home that Thoreau warned against taking any job that required new clothes, to which my father only answered that Thoreau had gone to his aunt's house for dinner every Wednesday night, a reply which must have meant something to me, as I still remember it fifty years later. I had no interest then in mercantile success, but hoped very much to ride the Philly progress. But while Whitman and Thoreau are important figures in the development of American individual freedom, it's become less clear to me that that in itself marks progress. The genial, well-tailored Holmes, after all, made a significant contribution to the progress of public health in America through his teaching and writing, including to the health of women and the poor through his radical insistence on the importance of cleanliness and fresh air and good nutrition to human lifespans, 
While Thoreau, as his friend and mentor Emerson remarked at his funeral, led a huckleberry party. When I read Thoreau and Whitman in college, I wore pink corduroy bell-bottoms, a flowered shirt, and a floppy leather hat, fringe and all. When I testified before the Michigan legislature on behalf of the Urban Community Action Program where I worked after graduation, I wore a suit my father had bought for me. We may not get to choose who we are, but we do get to choose what we want to do next and then do what that requires. It isn't then important to be consistent with what you've done before, but simply true. I hope you enjoyed Urania, a rhymed lesson, and that you'll join me again next week for another episode of Fireside Poems. If you think others might enjoy Fireside Poems, please let them know about it through your social media so that they might join you and me each week by the Fireside.